whether in this life or in the life of God. I want to preface something this morning. There's a, probably a pretty good reason why you heard popping a while ago, because you don't hear it now, do you? Satan absolutely one billion percent does not want me to tell you this message this morning. I have had a great week. I had a great weekend. But I can tell you that there were times that I, I, I saw in my life Satan just trying to get at me. You don't need to speak that. Then I would believe those voices and I would say, God, is this really what you want me to speak on? And he said, I wouldn't have given it to you if I don't want you to say it. So for the next three weeks, you can be praying for me as we, as we dive into this subject that number one, I don't feel adequate enough with the people that I've talked to that have actually seen this. I don't feel adequate enough to tell you about this. So we're going to stay a little bit on the surface, and we're going to talk about the suffering, what it means. Is it biblical? Does it come from God? Is it something that we did to deserve? What, what is it? I got to witness, and I've shared with some of you this morning, completely on purpose, because some of you already have heard what I'm going to say, but I want you to grasp this idea. I met a man this past weekend, and his last name is Song. He's from South Korea. He knows what that means. <laughs> and I don't. I live in a land of Disneyland. I... Disneyland, we have two Disney World. We can go get a drive through Big Mac. We can do anything that we desire. But he understands what suffering is. He's from South Korea. And he received an unbelievable accomplishment. He, he became a doctor in ministry and church planning. Because Dr. Song is a missionary from South Korea here. Please let that sink into your head. South Korea. Read the news. He's here. Now this whole thing on suffering. I read about African people that, that go against their tribe and accept Christ. And their hands are placed on a table. I don't mean to be graphic. I just want you to understand this. That I don't, I don't have the adequacy to speak on this. They put their hands on a, on a table and they say, they said, did you become a Christian and a follower of Jesus? And the man will say, yes. And they'll put a knife right here. And they'll say, all you got to do is deny Christ. And until they do, he keeps cutting. One guy can't even lift his arm in a tribe that one of my professors has been to and helped plant a church there. There's one guy that has no use of his left arm because of that technique has happened to him. He has no attachment of any tendon in his arm to raise it. All because he would not deny Jesus' name. When we get to that point, God <laughs> begins to explode. I don't like the title of that last video. If you want to YouTube it, it's called God's Goodness in Your Pain. Oh joy, yes, that sounds fun. Anyone? God's joy in our pain? God's goodness in our pain. How can an all-loving God be good? You've probably been asked this question. How can an all-loving God send people to hell? 
would be very short on this answer. He doesn't. They choose to. He provided a way. They have to choose. But listen to this. In this video, there were three men that, have, that are setting the bar so high of our Christian faith right now. And they're all in one video, and that's why I wanted to share it. Matt Chandler, David Platt, if you're a reader, if you've ever read Radical, that's the author. And John Piper, one of the most prolific expository preachers this world can see right now. And I do not have the theological mind that these guys have. But listen, I wanted to add something. I edited what they said. I wanted to add something to something they said. I think that God's goodness is made even more known in our times of hardship, in our times of struggle, and in our times of suffering. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in for what some of you would think this is a pretty... Common passage. You say, Matt, we were in Philippians a month ago. Why do we have to go back? You've already covered it. Now, that's the cool thing about God's Word. You can take It teaches you different things every time you're in there. But in Philippians chapter 1, that's where we're going to be in just a minute. But I want to give you a little bit of background. Paul is waiting, in a, he's waiting for a judgment. He's, he's in prison. Paul's experience in prison ranges from a house arrest to a dungeon where sometimes the people even don't make it to the trial. He's experienced the full gamut of things. How can Paul be relational in 2,000 years ago to today? Paul chose to do something unbelievable. My paraphrase of what he says throughout the book of Philippians is this. Either way, my hope and my trust is in God. Because see, Paul was put in front with two choices in front of his head. Two things that could possibly happen. He was going to get released from prison or he was going to die. That's it. There is no other. There's no other. So he says, he says either way, I am going to trust in God. What, he, what, what David Platt said hit home with me because it says this, I myself, my wife, have prayed when we had trouble getting pregnant. And then, and then, we lost a baby. Why? If you, if you have ever experienced a pain like this, you understand completely what I'm talking about. If you haven't, it may not look the same, but you've probably gone through some times where you just want to walk out your front door, fling it wide open, make sure you're outside so God can really hear you, and just let Him have it. Have you? God, why did you take my grandpa at 64 years old? Why did you let this happen? Why, did, why didn't you let this happen? Why didn't you let this happen? Why, God, why, why, why do I have to go through this suffering? Why do I have to? If you've been able, or if you've ever experienced a situation like this, you're going to grasp fully what Paul says here. Divorce of parents, death of family members, the loss of job, the loss of a mate, loss of friendships, infertility. Each of these has something in common. You know, what the, you know what's in common? They all hurt. And they all hurt incredibly much. 
I remember going home and, and my wife, and I consider myself a, 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 maybe an average strong person, and I can pick up some things, and I went home and my wife is laying on the couch and there is not a single thing that I can do to help her except to hold her. It had nothing to do with strength. It had all the things to do with compassion and love. Men want to just take the problem and we just want to crush it and make it go away. And that is not a problem that you can just make go away. And if you're, if you're here today and you are listening to this, please understand these types of situations can cause emotional distress, anxiety, loss of sleep, bad mood, sharp attitude. Please don't elbow your mate. Okay, all these things are tough. They're so difficult to go through. I remember wanting to walk outside my door on more than one occasion, not just with what I talked about earlier, but on more than one occasion, I've sat back. I, I picked up my Bible. I tried to make sense of this. And I sat back and I just said these words. God, it is not fair what you are doing to me. What you are letting happen to me is completely not even in the deck of cards of this life. This is so not okay. Take it away. Take it away. Take it away. It's funny because I read Philippians and Paul in the New Testament asked three times, take the thorn away from me. Theological thinkers think that Paul had very poor eyesight. He was blind from being stricken down with the light and from writing letters in prison. His eyesight was very, very poor. God, you can heal me. He knew it. Take this thorn away. It's not fair. When I told Jesus and I asked Jesus to come into my life, I did not sign the waiver that said I would have to walk through this stuff. Listen, this is so egotistical. You have no one to understand. You have to understand who you're saying this to. We say, God, you have no idea what suffering is. And He says, I, the Creator of the universe, who sent my perfect Son to die on a cross... And on Him I poured all of the hellish things that could ever be done. I don't understand suffering. God has walked in suffering. Probably more to an extent than we did. Infinitely more. He understands loss. He understands it. If you have your worship handout in this purple paper. Purple paper. Why do we suffer? The first blank is going to be on the screen. Look right here. It says, The Bible says that we are given the opportunity to suffer, and some of you already want to check out of this sermon. You say, No, 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 no. Huh? No, no, no. I didn't sign up for this. Why would my kids, why would my relatives be interested in a relationship with Christ if it means I have to suffer? We're given. This is not. This is not. This statement does not say, whenever, whenever I became a Christian, I got to pick from a pantry of stuff. There's not a single person in here that in the pantry of God's goodness, you, there's a great big bowl of suffering. Not one of you, with, with your rational mind, would reach out and say, oh, this is what I want. We want the good. We want the easy. In a sermon by John Piper, he talks about 
all of the distresses of this world and, and the bombings and all this stuff. And he said, we live in America and we want a life of ease. And according to the Bible, it's exactly wrong. <laughs> but we just say, God, we just want it to be easy. Listen, if we're going to plant a church as Connection's going to, it's not going to be easy. See, if you think that Satan won't come against that, you're crazy. The spreading of God's word is the exact thing that he is against. And he will go to you, and he will go to me, and he will just get it. He knows our Achilles heel. He's really good at it. He's the prince of this world. And he gets at us. The Bible says that we are given. Some of you you say, man... Let's just make sure that it says it somewhere else in the Bible. If you're taking notes, I'm not going to have them on the screen. And you want to jot these verses down to look at later. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. It says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That starts off okay. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Yes. Yes. This is what I'm, this is what I'm talking about. See, we read 2 Corinthians. We're all woohoo. The comfort. We want the comfort. It says, who comforts us in all our troubles. Yes. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Time out. This is not okay. This switched gears in a hurry. It says, God, I trust you. You're the God of comfort. You're the, Lord. You're the God. You're the dad of Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible says... God walks you through that so when somebody else comes along, you can walk through them with them. Well, that means sharing in their suffering. Yes, it does. Well, that's messy. Yes, it is. It hurts. Yes, it does. 1 Peter 5.10 1 Peter 5.10 And the God of all grace Hey, grace. Thumbs up. Who called you to do this in... To, I'm sorry, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ. Now he's talking. Now, now Peter's talking to the Christian people, the believers. So he's talking about grace and he's talking about heaven. I'm in so far. How about you? Yeah? Watch this. And after you've suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast? Oh, time out. We saw the word suffer. No. Mm-mm. I'm out. Look what it says. He says something very, very peculiar to me. And Peter says this, after you have suffered a little while, if you look back to the wisest man to ever walk this earth and you look in Ecclesiastes and look what Solomon says, he said, you're a vapor. Some of you have experienced graduation for your kids or weddings this summer of your children and you think in your mind, how in the world are they that old? How are they getting ready to have a family of their own? And yesterday, they were running around screaming in the house. We are here, but a vapor of time. And sometimes, God has these different things that He wants us to do. And it may not be our cup of tea. He may change our heart. It may not be something that we like, oh, I just love this. God says, I'm giving you an opportunity. When you say, well, it's only for a little while. You're not here that long. We're just not here that long. Romans 8.18 Just when I thought it could not get worse, I read Romans 8.18. Listen to this. I consider that our present sufferings, what you're going through right now, 
or have gone through or will go through. Those present sufferings are not worth comparing. How do the missionaries do it? How do Fox's Book of Martyrs and all these people that died for their faith? How does Stephen in the Bible where Saul was right there? How do these people, John the Bat, how do they die for their faith? You read some of these people in the 1500s, 1600s, when they profess Christ, they are literally tied to a post. They have firewood around them. They are anointed, anointed, poured on with oil, and they are lit on fire. And some of them have the last words saying basically this, let the king of this country understand who our God is. God forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus Himself from a wooden cross where He bore mine and your sins said, Forgive them, Father. They have no idea what they're doing. But it was necessary. His suffering was necessary. In Romans 8.18, He says, Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This means this. We get knocked down. We get dirt thrown in our face. We get spit upon and punched and kicked. And, what, and we're probably never going to see that. Yet, God says, what you're going through now will not even begin to touch. My goodness. You're, what you're going to experience now, Matt, in your 75 or 80 or 40 years of life on this earth, what you're going to experience... On this earth, even no matter how painful it is. Look at, if you want to really struggle or really, really get into this, read Job. Put yourself in, every time it says Job, put yourself. He loses everything. His family members come, what do they say? Curse God and die. It would be better off to die. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to endure it very long because, because I can do this. God is still good. God is still good. No family, no livestock, no land, no house, no slaves, nothing. All taken from him. And he says, I will not. I will not. I so desperately want to have that kind of faith. God, I don't care. I watched a video last night with my seven-year-old. You say, well, it was on being a missionary. Matt Chandler, I'm sorry, David, David Platt. No, yes, David Platt. Sorry, David Platt. President of the International Mission Board. By the way, that guy's like four years older than I am. Stud. If you ever want to read a book, read Radical. After you're done with that, read Radical together. Tell me it doesn't start a revival in your soul. I'm going to tell you that you have wet wood. David Platt, or yeah, David Platt. Sorry, he gets he gets on this video and he says he's talking about this ministry and he says there are people that are going to the corners of the world that are so difficult to get to. Listen to this: that they love the gospel of Jesus Christ more than their own life. I was told. Two days ago, out of 120 students, he said, 20% of you will finish your career in the ministry. 20%. Why? Because of people in Satan. 20%. And then that gentleman, who's the president of the college that I attended, said some of the most harshest, sharp words I've ever heard in my life. He st- we all stood up and he looked directly at us and he says, I charge you in the name of Jesus. 
To not let the evil one defeat you, but to take the gospel to the corners of the world. It just so happens my corner of the world right now is Mount Vernon. I was in the company of people that are giving their life to the mission field, and some of them may not come back home because they choose to suffer for Christ because they love the gospel more than their life. Think about that. Think about what that means today. Well, Matt says we all have to go to Egypt or Africa to be a missionary. No. Dying to yourself can happen right here. And when it does, watch out for God's goodness to explode and show His goodness through our trouble. Look at Philippians 1.20. I'm going to read through these verses real quick. Listen to this. This is Paul writing, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. This week, maybe you need to take verses 20 through 30 and you need to get alone in your room or maybe you need to walk through your house and you just need to say this. This is an unbelievable prayer. Unbelievable promise about what God is going to do. Look at verse um, 20, at the end of 21. It says, And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or I die. Verse 21, For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. This guy's clinically nuts. By America's standards, isn't he? He's clinically insane. Verse 22, But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. Now listen, look at verse 23. He's having an argument with himself here. Look at 23. I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go be in heaven with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sake, it's better that I continue to live. Do you see how much he loves these people? If, he, if Paul stays here, he's going to have to endure more suffering. But yet he loves them. He loves the gospel more than he loves his life. Suffering. 25. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what He's doing through me. Verse 27, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith which is the good news. He even mentions it. I love the good news more than I love my life. I love sharing Jesus with people even though it means getting hit with rods. I love Jesus above everything. Listen, when you put yourself... Jesus told His disciples, the world does not hate you. They hate me that's in you. And I'm telling you right now, the further up on that pedestal that you, that you speak or you try to do good things, I'm going to tell you right now, here's your warning. Suffering will come. Suffering will come. It will. And now, that's when we say, uh, you know what, brother? I'm not do that. When we, when we glorify Christ, Satan doesn't want that to happen. Look at 28. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God Himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. Privilege! Privilege! What in the world? It's not a privilege. Or is it? Of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering. 
We're in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. My first question when I read this is, how in the world did he write this? Think about this. You sit at home, and you write something to this effect. God, today, if I suffer, okay. I'm telling you. He's a different breed of human. If we realize how insignificant amount of time it is that we suffer compared to the infinity of heaven, we're a vapor. We're a vapor compared to eternity. So when it says, I'm going to suffer for a little while, that he's talking about our life. It's a vapor. It doesn't, it's not here very long. As we go through times of suffering, this is when other people see how we go through it. How do we show how good God is going through suffering? If you're in the bottom of, your, if you're in the, bottom of the basket, and you're going through life, and somehow that God-given strength you ask for, you get it, and He begins to show other people through you how big He is, that, that is the purpose. God can even bring good through our suffering. What a challenge. Does this make sense? Some of you are sitting out there going, no. You're telling me the closer that I follow Christ, the more I'm going to suffer? <laughs> yeah. You're saying that we as Americans want a, uh, want a Disneyland experience, and you're not saying that's, gonna, you're saying that's not going to be like that. I'm saying that exactly. We, we desire to be man, palm branches in our face. We desire, to be, we, we desire to be the kings and the pharaohs of ancient Egypt. You just sit there. And you have a whole lot of girlfriends and you just sit there. Life of luxury. It's gold, it's wealth, it's power. Jesus says, no, it's none of those things. It's servanthood. Look at your worship handout with me. If you would. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let's back up again. I'm sorry. Go to verse 20. Let's look at this real quick. Verse 20. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed. You want to challenge yourself? Try to do this for five hours at a time. I didn't even say a day. I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed. Never be ashamed of Jesus Christ. You and I both know that you've been in situations, people have said things, they've challenged your belief, and you said nothing. I've been there. Never be ashamed. I met a man, I met a man this weekend face to face. His name is Brett. He's a church planner in Baltimore, Maryland. You want to talk about a dude that's absolutely on fire for Jesus. Man, I wish he'd come here and visit. He's on fire. I said, How many people do you have in your core group? He goes, Zero. I said, Zero. I said, That's not good. You can't start a church with zero. He goes, Oh. But God's gonna bring him. He operates on another level. That his faith is astounding. Anybody that is around him begins to just be magnetized towards this six foot four African American guy with a sweet mohawk. He's been married to his wife for 29 years and he has zero people in his, in his core group in Baltimore, on the outskirts of Baltimore. And I'm going to tell you right now, you need to pray for Brett and his wife, Angelina. 
They are unbelievable. He's from Barbados. The dude's happy all the time. Maybe it's from the tropics. I don't know. He never said that, but he's always happy. He said, I'm so blessed to even be in the company or to even know you or any of these other people that we got to meet. Just this unbelievable guy. And he said, but I am so not worthy to know Jesus Christ. He said, may my life be nothing but honor and glory to Jesus. I'm telling you right now. You walk next to that guy, he's going to set you on fire for God. He says, I want to continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die out of Brett's mouth. He says, here's the deal. He goes, I go talk to gangbangers all the time. He said, I had a guy pull out a gun, point it right at my face. He says, if you kill me, I'm going straight to the presence of God. (laughs) He's He's in America. He said, if you kill me, I'm going to be straight from here into ushered into the presence of God because Jesus is in my life. And he asked that man that was pointing the gun at, his, at him, he says, do you know my Jesus? Gun is pointed at him. Do you know Jesus? And then he began to tell me, he goes, Matt, my life doesn't even matter. If I die, I win. It's the same thing. That's a 2016 context of what Paul said. Look at verse 21. For me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. How about this quote? If you're not ready to die, you're not ready to live. If you're not ready to die, you're not ready to live. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're not ready to live yet. Okay? If you're not ready to die, you're not ready to live. Paul has hope in his eternal home, his relationship with Christ. But what if somebody doesn't believe in God? Say, man, I talk to these people all the time, and they don't believe in God. Well, here's the deal. If they don't believe in God, they're not going to understand anything about what you're getting ready to talk about with this verse. Because all they know is this world. We have a future. Look at, look at your worship paint out the next blank. For those who do not believe in God, their lives on this earth is all they have. It is. That's it. It's all they have. That's why you see this. People seeking popularity, money, and other worldly things. They do not have a hope in eternity. Therefore, they have to live now. They got to live now. Now. Now, 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 now. New car. I don't care if I have debt. Blah, 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 blah. All this stuff. If they don't believe in God, this is all they have. For you and I, when we go through this life, we have the future hope of heaven. It's just different. We're different people. The Bible even calls us peculiar. We're not the same. One of the, have you seen Sesame Street? One of these things is not like the other? That's us. How about this quote? Or this, this statistic? Are you ready for this? I don't even know that you're ready to hear this. On a general consensus in the United States. You ready? This should literally break our hearts to the point of weeping. But it probably won't. Because we're comfortable. I'm not saying that you are. I'm just saying as a nation, we are. On a, if we had a generalized population of the United States in Mount Vernon, you ready? Ours is a little bit higher than this because we're a rural area. Okay? More of a conservative area. We have, probably have more per capita. But what if this? 
At any point in the United States that you walk into a Walmart or Kroger, three out of the four people that you come in contact with, every three out of four people that you come in every three out of four people that you come in contact with, for those of you that don't do math and I don't do it well, that's 75%. 75% of Americans do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me, let, me, let me tell you again. We have a missionary in the United States over in Kansas City, and he's from South Africa, and he came here. Because there's a higher percentage of Christians in South Africa than there is here. Does that not scare you? It terrifies me. It makes my heart hurt. Holy cow. How these people exist. If you're a sports fan, you've heard of this name. If you listen to 90.9, he's on all the time with his wife, Tony Dungy. Used to, used, to coach, used to play for the Buccaneers, coach the Indianapolis Colts, Super Bowl champion. We switch gears. Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life, founder of Saddleback Church, largest Southern Baptist church in America, 30,000. These two men share a common denominator. Do you know what it is? They've both had sons that committed suicide. Leading out on pedestals of faith, these men were chopped at the knees with suffering that comes from disorders in their head, depression from their sons, and they commit, they took their life. Yet, they still... Anybody hear Tony Dungy this week on 90.9 The Vine? What was he doing? He was talking about Christ. How good He is. How do we, how do, we do that? They continue to share. Look at verse 22 and 23. He says, but, the, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So it really doesn't matter. I really don't know which is better. <laughs> Think about Paul is, man, if he writes like this, can you imagine trying to talk to him? He's like, well, if I live till tomorrow, I can tell more people about Jesus. But if I want to be selfish, I die today and I get to meet God today. Do you think like this? No. You're an American. We think, well, I see my daughters get married. And I got to see my, gra- my daughters graduate high school and graduate college, and graduate middle school, and all these things. Going to a preschool graduation this week. Big deal. Big cap deal. Diplomas and everything. Look at verse 23. He says, I'm torn. See, most of us, most of us don't, wouldn't even write those two words down because we're not torn. We're not torn between, between doing, living and dying. We just want to live. He's physically, mentally, he's torn between the two. Are you torn? This is tough. I'm torn. I don't know which one's better. He has such... Some people that would look at this, they say, he has such a lackadaisical attitude towards this life. He really doesn't even care if he lives. You're right. Because he, he, as long as he's here, he has a job to do, tell people about Christ. And if he's not here, he's going to be in the presence of God. He says, I'm really torn between which one's better. I know heaven's going to be better, but look at this. He goes on. I long to go and be with Christ for which would be far better for me. <clears throat> like, I could get beaten with rods or have dinner with Jesus. You pick. I could walk streets of gold or they could, uh, they could whip me. Pick. Come on, 
what? I could, I could lounge beside a crystal sea and worship an almighty God who's elevated somehow above perfect heaven. He's elevated above perfection. I have no idea how that works. You could hang out by the crystal sea, sing how great is our God in any language that you want, or you could suffer in a prison and not get fed for two weeks. Think about this. He's literally torn. He says, well, I really want to go see Christ, but I still have a little bit of life in me. Who can I tell? This guy's crazy, according to American standards. Paul says, if I live or die, it doesn't matter. Even if he lives, leaves me here a little bit longer, I can tell more people. And if he chooses to take me, I'm done. I'm done. Finish the race. Second Timothy. Chapter 4, I believe, verse 7. I've run the race. I'm done. Man, finish well. You're not here very long. Finish well. Look at verse 24 and 25. But for your sakes, listen, Paul gets real personal here. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. That would be a slap in the face. But for your sakes, it's better that I'm here because you could listen to me. Look at verse 25. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Paul has what a friend of mine, what a, what a biblical scholar friend of mine says, he suffers from superlapsarianism. And no, I'm not intelligent, that's his word. He made it up. Ready? Superlapsarianism means this. Did God have a plan for Adam and Eve to live in the Garden of Eden forever? Sure. He created them perfect. They could have lived perfect without sinning. Did he have a plan after they sinned? Yes, that's superlapsarianism. God's plan always laps over. Okay? Has it ever occurred to you that nothing occurs to God? That, that type of thinking. Okay, so Paul, Paul is not caught off guard in any situation. He basically says this, if I live, I will tell you about Jesus. If I die, I will be with Jesus. There is no other choice. But he says, if I die, I win. But he has a plan already to continue his ministry with the Philippian people. Look at your worship handout. When we experience times of suffering, it's often then that others can see God glorified through us. If our, it is our job as followers to tell other people of our circumstances in life that we've gone through. Some of you maybe are sitting in your chair and you heard me talk about my struggle with my wife and our suffering earlier in our marriage. Maybe you've been through that. Maybe you've been through some of the things that I've seen and the only thing in your head is going, I understand that. I understand that pain. I understand that pain. I understand that pain. Can I be very, 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 very open and honest with you? God heals that pain. God can heal that pain. You can't. You cannot do it. You can't do it for your wife. Your wife can't do it for you. Your partner can't do it for you. It's God alone that can give you that grace and that help and that peace. I never, I, th- I never thought I would ever say this in my entire life. I have peace beyond understanding of why God did what He did and He allowed whatever He allowed to happen. And we lost the baby. I have complete peace about that. You know why? God happens at conception. God inhabits the Spirit. His Spirit dwells in a human being at conception. Not 9 or 16 weeks. At conception. And because that baby had a soul and it didn't reach the age of accountability and no right from wrong, guess what? God says that he's safe. He or she's safe. And glory to God, I'm going to see that baby one day. However we age in heaven, uh, the Bible says we're going to have the mind of Christ and we enter into heaven and that baby's going to come... Have baby? So I don't know how we're going to be in heaven. It's going to come running up to me and if I have the mind of Christ, I'm going to instantly know who that is. And they're going to say something like this. It took you a while. 
Actually, they won't have any idea of concept of time, so they won't know. But think about how beautiful that is. Out of that sorrow, God says, no, 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 no. Out of your ashes, I'm going to grow something gorgeous. And the Bible says our suffering is not hard. Our suffering is not bad. Our suffering is merely fertilizer. It's merely fertilizer to see what God can do through us. Oh, if we could ever desire to just go after that. In verses 26 and 27, he says, Then I will come to you again, and you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what He is doing through me. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. He again is he's covering all of his bases. If I come back and talk to you again, Hey, we'll have tea. If I don't get to come back and talk to you again, maybe I can hear about you from somebody else. If I don't ever get to back to Philippi, maybe somebody, another missionary, maybe Timothy, will tell me about what's going on. Maybe Lydia will write. Lydia, who's the first convert, the joyful worshiper, the seller of purple cloth, was the first convert that they met on their second missionary journey. First one. Wow, why was it a big deal that they met people in Philippi? Why was the Philippian church such a big deal? Out of the Philippian church, they went, east, or they went west. Guess what happened? The entire continent of Europe was missionalized for the gospel. On purpose. Because God is who He says He is. Some of you, listen, this makes no sense at all, but I want to make it really, really easy to understand. Some of you... Over the last eight and a half years, no matter if you've been involved in eight and a half years or nine years or the, the airport or before the airport or the school or just here, you have helped lay a foundation and some of you are of the age in life that you will not see it fully mature. Why are you doing this? Now, I'm not asking you to quit. I'm asking you a question. Why would you give and put into your life, out of your life into something, lay a foundation for a church that you won't see to maturity? Paul did the same thing. I'm going to say, good job. My good job doesn't mean anything. But it's God in heaven that looks down and says, you have no idea what I'm going to do with these kids when you, after you're gone. You have no idea what these kids are going to do. You have no idea the, the missions that they're going to see. You have no idea the places that some of our children are going to get to go. Why? Because we teach them to. And we suffer. You and I both know if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, doing this kind of work for Christ is not easy. It's very difficult. It's hard. You want to share your faith? It's tough. But I have a question. Is it worth it? Why do, you get, why do you give money to a church that you won't see to maturity? Why? You know why? Because God says it's worth it. Why? When we close our eyes and take our last breath on this earth, that question will never enter your mind again. Is it worth it? You step into the glory of God. Was it worth it? You will literally quote this scripture back and say, yeah, we were only here for a little bit. That was a vapor. Holy cow, look out. 35. I don't know how old you are. It doesn't matter. Listen to me. We're only here for a very, very short time. We are going to suffer. going to happen. The closer you walk with Jesus, the more you're going to suffer. One of the biggest lies the church has ever told. It says, when you become a Christian, your life is good. That is completely a lie from Satan. Your life is not... It was never designed to be easy. It's designed to be hard. 
God says, we're given the opportunity. Before we left to go on our trip on Wednesday, I sat in like five trains past me. Five trains. I hate trains. Five of them. I, got, I was lucky. Blessed, wasn't I? We're a team, he says. Sometimes team members change places on the playing field. Guess what? When that happens, guess what? We shouldn't say, oh, well, thank you for everything you've done. Oh, we're going to miss them. No. Opportunity. New people spring up and say, we get, to, we, get to, we get to serve. And when we sign up to serve, this is what happens. You sign up to suffer. It's not convenient. It's not convenient to mentor someone or to show up to the mentor meetings. It's not easy to come here early and make coffee and popcorn. It's not delightful to clean the toilets. But it's worth it. Two weeks ago, we had two people get saved before I said a word. (laughs) That's because God is good. Every time. All the time and always. It's hard. We collectively fight together for one purpose at Connection. We do not fight each other. We fight together. You can have a differing opinion with somebody in this church, but you are pulling the same direction. We seek to fight this war together and on the same side. Look at 28. Don't be intimidated. I tell you what. Some of you are going through some stuff right now, whether it's addiction or whatever it is. This is what you need to do. You need to write verse 28, that first part. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. If you're a child of God, you have what's inside you that can defeat anything. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's pornography or heroin. I do not care if it's affairs or sexual desires. I don't care what it is. Jesus Christ conquered it all. You need to put that on your mirror. You're struggling with with your weight. You're struggling with whatever, or you're eating or whatever. You put that great big print above your mirror and says, I will not be intimidated in any way by my enemy, but I will follow God. Yes, that means suffer. You think, you think it's easy? You think it's easy to eat a salad over a ribeye? No. My dad's a meat cutter. I know exactly how good that ribeye tastes. You think it's easy to do this stuff, and that's just a diet. We're going to choose to follow. This will be a sign to them. He goes on. They're going to be destroyed, but that you're going to be saved. Praise God. Even by God Himself. For you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also also the privilege of suffering for Him. Paul and God both say, this is a privilege. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to suffer. makes no earthly sense in America today. We, We say questions like this, how can I deal with this? How can I get over this? You can't alone. You cannot do it alone. Friday nights we meet here for Celebrate Recovery. If you have an issue or something, I'm going to tell you something. My entire life has changed because of that ministry. Because I was able to take steps to put God in places that He needed to be. And guess what happened? When Matt got out of the way, guess what happened? Guess what happened? Matt got better. I couldn't do it by myself. It was God. He says, you have the privilege to now suffer for me. Listen, this is like going to an amusement park and say, I want to be last in line. 
No one says that. No one says that. I want you to hear me. We have the privilege to walk beside people who are hurting. And other people have the privilege to come beside us when we're hurting. This is together. There's even, there's even a coalition now called Together for the Gospel. It's very important that you understand that they fit together. Look at verse 30. We're in this struggle together, Paul says. He's talking to the Philippians. This is a letter. He doesn't say this face to face. You have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. Do you know what Paul's struggle is? Do you know what really what Paul considered his struggle is? Being alive. Because when you're alive, you struggle. He says, you've seen it. You've seen how they've treated me. You've seen how they beat me. You've seen how they've done it. The only thing that I want to do is preach. The only thing, I love the gospel more than I love myself. That is a wild concept. One that God, one that God asks us to have. He would hold them up, they would hold him up. And sometimes, guess what? You ready for this? We don't want to hear this in America today. You ready? Sometimes they both suffered. That is when it gets difficult. That's when you've got to pull up the knee boots and possibly the waders. It gets deep. You've got to go through. To last blank. If you do not hear anything else today, please hear this. Look at the last blank on your worship handout. Paul does not, not tell us, he, he does not tell us to seek out suffering. That is not okay. Okay, don't seek it out. What he does tell us is that we're not to suffer alone. Through our suffering, God can display His power through others. How do we know this to be true? Listen, there are multiple instances in the Bible where somebody was being hunted by someone else. And they ran for protection. Elijah was by himself. He was hunted. God provided for him. It doesn't say, seek this out. Okay, but he says, be ready. Listen, I want to tell you this. I have no idea what some of you are going through. I have no clue. I have no idea. But I will tell you this. It's none of my business. Unless I can help you. I have no idea how you're hurting or what you're suffering with or from. It's none of my business unless you need it to be. And it's not me. I just point you in the right direction. It's none of my business. And it's not anybody else's business either. Because they have their own stuff in their own closet whether they want to admit it or not. But I do know this. If you're new to this church or this area, let me tell you something. You are sitting beside people who don't, may not know you, may not have ever been to your house, but they would do anything to further the gospel in your life. And that is unbelievable to have. People willing to say, I like cleaning the carpets more than I like enjoying coffee and sitting down. You're nuts. Our coffee's good. No, I want to I vacuum the floor. You're crazy. Why don't you come later to church? I want to be diverse in the instruments that I play just so we can try to make it sound good if we're missing somebody. It's not for you. That's what worship isn't for you. Worship is for Him. It's not about us. Us giving. I sat in a... I didn't sit. I stood. In a 750 person auditorium. And I guess what? And I, I know some of you, whether you disagree or agree, they, all they sang was deeply theologically correct hymns. We sang, Praise to the Lord the Almighty. 
with an organ and a piano. And 750 people that wanted to sing that song. And I'm going to tell you right now, I thought the roof was going to blow off, and I thought Friday we were getting raptured. Unbelievable. Because God is unbelievable. And we have these highs. Do you know that no trees grow on the mountaintops? You have to have them. You have to have these good times. The growth happens in the valley. Guess what the valley is? That's the suffering. That's the hard. But you have to have the, the good times so that you can be in that valley and you look back and go, you know what? I was there. God is good. He's never left me. I'm here and I'm here for a reason. And that reason sometimes is not easy for us to understand. It's so hard. But I don't know what you're going through. And as much as our people could love on you, we are infinitely smaller than the God who loves you. And we can never love you like that. But we can point you to that love. He loves you right where you are. In your suffering, He loves you. But it is our privilege... To suffer for Jesus Christ on this earth. Why? Because we're a vapor. And eternity is not a vapor. Eternity forever. What will you do this week? What will you do the next two weeks when we talk about the different aspects of the suffering? What it really means on a down-to-earth level. What will we do? Some of us need to go home. And we need to put verse 28 on our mirror that says, I will not be intimidated by this thing that has its talons in me. I will not be intimidated by smoking or this or whatever. I will not be intimidated by this anymore. God, I hurt. Some of you need to go home and say that. You say, God, I hurt. I hurt bad. I can't take this pain away. I, you need to take it away. Please. This morning, I'm not going to ask you to lift your hands. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray over you. Because I'm just going to take a wild stab and say, the majority of us would probably say, yes, there's something not going right in our life. I'm going to pray for you and we're going to be dismissed. But I just ask that God does not, does not quit speaking to you after you leave. I pray that He puts you in immediate contact with people that you can walk through this life together with. That you can help through a struggle in your life. Immediately. Why do we struggle? It's given to us. Because this short life doesn't compare at all to the goodness of eternity doesn't compare anything to the goodness of Christ. Let's pray. God, in this room right now, I thank You for Your Holy Spirit. I thank You, God, for the people in this room. I thank You for the things that they do. They sacrifice for connection. They come early. They serve. They give money. They come, they come to different events. They help with community lovings. They cook popcorn or they brew coffee. They even clean toilets, Lord. Sometimes, God, we go through times of suffering in our life. Loss of loved ones, loss of job, loss of children. God, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You are bigger than everything. I ask you, God, 
You know the individual specific hurts of these people in this room. And God, I just ask you that you begin to work in their life. Give them that understanding, that peace beyond understanding that you promise. God, that we can, we can pull on this rope together, not apart, but together to further the gospel of your Son. It's through Him that we have hope at all. And when you raised Him from the dead on the third day, everything can be forgiven. Our hope is alive. It's not dead. Living on the inside of us. God, help us. Help us to come to you. Help us to say, God, I don't have this under control and I need your help. I suffer. I'm hurting. I need this. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.